Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hello, everyone. This is Karen Tynan with your Ogletree Deacons Workplace Safety Podcast. Today, I'm joining two of my favorite colleagues from Texas, John Serma and Jeff Leslie from the Dallas and Houston offices, respectively. And we're here today to talk about what my friend John Serma calls the pizza party ban, um, talking about Fed OSHA's uh, guidance on workplace safety rewards and safety incentives. So Jeff, let's start uh, with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you started working in workplace uh, safety and health, and what does your practice look like there in Texas? Thank you, Karen. I'm happy to be here today. Well, let me back up a little bit. I'm a seventh-year associate with Ogletree Deacons. I'm here in the Dallas office Uh, I've been in practice doing uh, workplace safety for a little over four years now. Before going to law school, I taught English in in, uh, high school for one year in France and three years in Missouri. I only say that uh, because I do have a little bit of public sector experience, if you will, uh, before going to law school. I got interested in workplace safety, probably like a lot of other people. The opportunity just presented itself and I jumped in. Uh, after my first inspection, I was hooked. And I just, I recall it was at a, a distribution factory that received a complaint about an exit door that had been locked. It sounded pretty uh, simple, but like uh, inspections can sometimes go, it got very interesting very quickly. So I haven't looked back since. Being located in Texas, I handle matters all over the state, but also in Oklahoma, Louisiana, and even Arizona at times. I do inspections, litigation, and advice and counsel stuff, uh, and I also handle 11C whistleblower cases. Wow, that's a big footprint there, Texas plus other states. You and John recently wrote a blog post that got quite a bit of traction, both on our Ogletree website and on LinkedIn, and the blog post was about OSHA's apparent effort to ban pizza parties, which is a bit of an overstatement, but but it was about safety incentives. And and can you give us kind of that high-level explanation before we dive in and, and get very granular? Yeah, absolutely. So at a high level, what John and I were trying to do is, is we wanted to point out OSHA's communication, in this case in the form of a tweet on social media, sort of highlighted the already confusing guidance that had been issued by OSHA back in 2012, that it tried to then clarify in, in 2018. And I, I mean, come on, are you really going to take a swipe at a pizza party? I, I thought we we touched on that uh, quite well. But I think basically the tweet oversimplifies OSHA's guidance to the point that it sort of misstates its position. And the 2018 guidance that OSHA put out I feel like it's confusing to employers because it hedges a lot. It doesn't really give you something concrete that you can look at your own incentive program and say, okay, does this really meet that guidance? It's more of a, hey, this could happen. And you know what? We're just going to 
do some in, investigating and, and we'll find out and we'll let you know. So Jeff, let's kind of walk the audience through this just a little bit. And let's start off with this. You, know, you, you mentioned back in 2012 that OSHA issued a standard interpretation regarding safety incentives and in drug testing. And before we get real granular about that standard interpretation, could you tell us, could you tell the audience what a standard interpretation is and kind of what they would normally see with respect to standard interpretations? In layman's terms, a, a standard interpretation is OSHA's response to the public or even to a, a field office on some aspect or terminology of one of their standards or regulations. So basically, OSHA is saying, look, we've gotten some questions about this. Here's how we intended or we will look at that uh, based on the language or, or based on how they've enforced it. On the piece of, of a standard interpretation, I mean, if we look at a particular standard at the OSHA.gov website and, you know, we open up, say, 1910-178 and there's a little hyperlink, a lot of those standard interpretations can be found there. And they're, they're kind of in the form of a letter responding to an inquiry from an employer. Can you describe the standard interpretations issued in 2012 and 2018 in terms of what they looked like in terms of the actual formatting and, and, you know, kind of, you know, were they a response to some employer inquiry or was it something else? You're absolutely correct. Probably most employers are used to looking at those in a letter form. And those can be actually quite helpful because they'll, they'll give scenarios or um, things like that, that an employer could, could probably apply to their own particular situation. In this case, in 2012 and 2018, these were in memo forms. And so it is essentially from Deputy Assistant Secretary in um, 2012 and um, the director uh, in 2018, lady by the name of Amanda Eddins. And so these memos were issued basically to try to, I think, address probably what was frustration on the parts of employers as well as uh, OSHA and their compliance officers. Or How are we supposed to go about looking at these programs? What are we supposed to do? The 2012, and I know we're going to talk about that first, so I don't want to jump ahead to the 2018 part of it, but it sort of lays out several types of, of incentive programs that um, OSHA has come across and, and they, they do it in sort of abstract terms, uh, but they identify four of those and kind of go through and, and how they might be problematic or how maybe they might, they might be in compliance with the standard. So Jeff, can you tell us what position there was in March of 2012 with respect to post-incident drug testing safety and safety incentive programs so we understand where we were in order to get to where we're going. So tell us what the March 12, 2012 interpretation, what was that position? Yeah, just simply, and OSHA kind of lumped those two things together, right? The the incentive programs and the post-accident drug testing. But basically they were trying to clarify what, what constitutes retaliation here. And bottom line is they concluded you can't single out an employee who was injured or or folks who reported and you know drug test them and only them right if if you're going to have a, a drug testing policy you need to apply it evenly and neutrally and the same with the incentive program you can't penalize folks for 
reporting injuries or for being injured. Uh, and so they, they were trying to shed light on that. And unfortunately, it left a lot of people uh, confused. And that's why, you know, six years later, they had to try to issue a clarification. So that clarification was October 11, 2018. There was another interpretation issued on this subject. So we've gone from 2012, now 2018, a few years ago. What did that interpretation tell employers on this subject? Yeah, so here the bottom line is, you know, any action taken under either an incentive program or a drug post-incident drug testing policy would only be looked at as retaliatory if it penalized an employee for reporting those rather than for um, the legitimate purpose of workplace safety and health. Now, go ahead and try to figure out what that means. And OSHA tries to clarify that, right? They, they sort of give some examples, right? Positive actions taken under certain types of programs are fine. They're permissible. We, we like that. You know, they say rate-based incentive programs are also permissible as long as they're not implemented in a manner that discourages reporting. And so uh, kind of what we touched on to begin with, it's yes, you can do these things, but. And it's the but that we don't get a whole lot, in my opinion, that is satisfying or that gives an employer some clear directives. I mean, look, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this because I think you know, there's that section of that 2018 memo that says another type of incentive program is rate-based and focuses on reducing the number of reported injuries and illnesses. And then it specifically says this type of program typically rewards employees with a prize or bonus at the end of an injury-free month or evaluates managers based on their work unit's lack of injuries. So, aha, pizza parties are okay, according to the 2018 memo. But you buried the lead, John. (laughs) And then on January 9, 2023, OSHA put out a tweet. And and if you recall the tweet, the graphic that went with the tweet was kind of a black background with a bunch of pizzas on it. And Jeff, can you tell us about that one? Yes. So OSHA issues this tweet. Is your pizza party incentive program unreasonable? And they put up a a picture of a delicious pizza and then three points that uh, I I won't read all of them here. You you can you can go and look at the tweet yourself. But in my opinion, the, the tweet basically says, yeah, your pizza party might not be in compliance here. It, it, it may be a problem, which goes directly against the takeaway from the 2018 Uh, I mentioned this before. I think it just oversimplifies to the point that it misstates OSHA's prior guidance. I think that's a that's a really good point, Jeff. And so I know out here in California, right, we've got on the Cal OSHA website, there's some directions regarding this just in a in a simple paragraph. Um, And and so I rely on that. But it's certainly a more formal publication than a tweet. Um, I don't know of any other tweets that really uh, have come out on this kind of important issue. So is the stated prohibition, is it a stated prohibition on pizza parties and other safety incentives when those type of rewards and incentives 
exclude employees who report an injury or illness? Is that the current position that those are prohibited? So look, I'm going to out myself here a little bit. I'm, I'm a millennial. I, I, I like to describe myself as a geriatric millennial, right? I barely made the cut, but I am. And so I am of the opinion that Twitter's not the real world. However, you could easily see a scenario here, uh, especially on the 11th C side, where um, you have a investigator, a compliance officer who will look at this, will, will sort of take this position when looking at, for example, a pizza party, right? We're not sure how that'll play out. A lot of it will depend on what the program is, how it's executed, you know, how do we apply this to employees across the board, et cetera. I will say this. I don't think it was helpful. I think also probably I would be remiss if I didn't say, I think OSHA was doing a bit tongue in cheek as well. So I don't want to miss the humor there. I could foresee a scenario in which, uh, especially on 11C side, this could be an issue. So let me jump in here just a minute and take a little bit of exception here. OSHA in this tweet says that an incentive program is considered unreasonable if, and that lists three reasons to the right of three delicious little mini pizzas, um, (laughs) or at least delicious looking little mini pizzas. And, And each one of those circumstances relate to somebody who's reported injuries or somebody who has or a crews that have not remained injury free. And so assuming this is a reasonable way to communicate the message, and, and I, I think you're right, Jeff, in the 11C context, I think this seriously muddies the water. But I think it has to be interpreted as, you know, they're saying that if you have one of these programs that excludes folks based on the fact that they were injured and reported that injury or somehow it was tied to the recordable injury rate, that, you know, they're going to consider it unreasonable. At least there's a relatively high likelihood that they consider it unreasonable. I think that's a great point, John. And and for some real world application, I know that that recently I was I was working with Kathy Fletcher, our colleague, and and we were compiling documents related to a safety program to show what I would call a vigorous and um, well implemented safety program. And there were uh, near miss uh, forms and procedures kind of where people got gold stars for reporting near misses. And I do think it is important to have that perspective of where do your incentives, your rewards, your recognition fit in to that overall safety program. So, So I like how you're explaining that. Now, here's the question I think a lot of listeners are probably wondering. Can OSHA change a rule via a tweet? Can they, can they publish something on a social media platform and that's a rule change? No. I think that social media is obviously a powerful tool. You know, we could talk about that. Um, I think it is an effective way for OSHA to communicate and sort of lead to official guidance and things like that. And, and had that been the case here, you know, is your uh, pizza party unreasonable? Click on this link to find out. And, you know, it went to some sort of new guidance, then great. But unfortunately, we live in a, in a world that is dominated by social media. And so I think 
the best outcome here is that it just makes things a little bit less clear. Is this really OSHA's position now? Now, I'd love to, I would love to be in a, involved in an inspection or a case in which OSHA pointed to a tweet and said, we gave you warning, this is our new position on this. Uh, that would be a lot of fun uh, as, as a litigator. But no, they, they have to go through, through a, a different process for that. Yeah, and let me follow up on what Jeff just said. You know, your question was a little bit of a loaded one, Karen, in as much as the rules themselves can't be changed that way. But, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, kind of how OSHA is interpreting things, you know, I, I'm involved in an inspection right now under the, the process safety management standard where in the informal conference, one of our arguments was that OSHA's citation was predicated on essentially a new understanding of the rules or a new set of expectations. And the area director and assistant area director were very, very clear in response to that. And that was, yes, we are planning on changing the way these rules are interpreted. So do they even need to actually announce how they're going to alter interpretations of rules or with regard to like the pizza party thing, how they're going to interpret behaviors in light of Section 11C of the Act, I would say they should. And that's why we have these standard interpretations out there. And that would be kind of the expectation of the average employer. But I think from the standpoint of, you know, those policy decisions that drive decisions relative to how we're going to enforce one standard or one set of rules versus some other, I think they pretty much don't have to give us any notice. I think they, they can you know, bring it up and they can, they can try to litigate out and, you know, potentially have, you know, the Oshrick judge or the Oshrick itself, you know, support the position that what they did was appropriate. So uh, will this one stick? I don't know. And, and will they continue to try to effectuate change via social media? I don't know. I certainly hope our geriatric uh, millennial, as he described himself, um, <laughs> and, and, and the impact of social media isn't as strong as it, as it, seems like it might be, but, but I am afraid that it could be just that strong. Yeah. I think that's a really good point, John. And, and maybe in, in some ways tweets like this can help uh, employers more than, than we realize if, if OSHA is going to get into the business of kind of giving us informally how they're going to look at these rules that that could actually be quite helpful for employers going forward. Right. Because it, it alerts employers and, and gives employers kind of a moment to think about their own programs, right? And so for employers that do want to keep up with changes, whether it's about, you know, an interpretation or new regulations or maybe, you know, enforcement focuses, things like that, what do you see sophisticated employers doing to keep up with the changes that OSHA makes on, on those type of activities that I listed. What do you think? Yeah, I think that any employer who is serious about staying up to date on these kind of things, you know, they do things like, you know, they read blogs, they they listen to news sources and, and podcasts and things like that. But also a lot of businesses have social media presence, right? Or if they don't, at least personally, a lot of people do. And it's really not a bad idea to follow these government agencies. You know, a lot of times you don't get nuggets like this, or you don't think they're as interesting as perhaps we do. And that's fine. But there's a way to stay informed on these kind of things. And if nothing else, it at least can inform you and, and 
provide you with some sort of guidance and you need to sort of assess how much weight to to apply to it on how to go about doing things like your incentive programs or, or, or whatever it might be. You know, there's just a lot of information. There's a lot of noise out there with, with social media and, and the news. And so you, you can use it to your advantage if you're focused and, and you uh, do it the right way. So, Jeff, kind of following up on that answer to, to Karen's question, you know, relative to safety incentives, relative to keeping up with changes of direction from OSHA, whether you're using Twitter or LinkedIn or some other format to announce them. What other suggestions do you have for employers, specifically as relates to the safety incentive piece, given your explanation of keeping up with what OSHA is doing? Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the key here. And so with most things, um, it's, it's a little bit more complicated, right? But when you're looking at something like an incentive program, I think you have to differentiate uh, a little bit from what's on paper and what's in practice. And we all want a safe work environment and we all want our employees to be safe. We want everyone to go home uh, safely. And so looking at how we apply our procedures and our process toward that goal, I I think is really important. So one way that I think employers do a good job on this or or sort of promoting and, and emphasizing those kind of incentives before accidents happen, right? There a lot of times they're called, you know, near miss or work stop authority, those kind of things. And, and I think that those can be really effective in a workplace, especially if those kind of uh, decisions by an employee are rewarded. So that's just one example. But you want to make sure that safety isn't just something that you have on paper, right? It's not just something that you talk about after something, an incident has happened. Uh, it, it's something that you want to build and that takes time to build, uh, but it can be done. Bottom line for employers is these incentive programs can be effective ways to reward employees for identifying unsafe conditions in the workplace. Training has a lot to do with that as well to reinforce those ideas. John, I know you and I have talked about this a lot. I know you've got some thoughts on it, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah, thank you, Jeff, and and we appreciate you, you joining with us today. So a couple of things kind of maybe a little different variation of, of what you've just described. And I've seen a couple of employers do this and, and with really good effect, which is basically their uh, safety crews and, and managers are, are going around and kind of uh, rewarding folks who are engaging in safe behaviors, as well as those who are, you know, pointing out safety issues. So, you know, when they see folks, particularly if they're doing things where, you know, maybe using like a fall harness under a certain set of circumstances is a little bit difficult and they have problems keeping folks in the fall protection equipment, you know, rewarding them with some little token, you know, whether it's it's like a challenge coin type thing or whether it's, you know, some sort of, you know, like a little credit towards, you know, purchasing, you know, company merchandise or whatever the case might be. Um, but but a lot of those things seem to be really, you know, positive and, and they have some good outcomes. The other thing I would say is kind of following on your safety training piece, trying to create a safety culture where folks actually kind of internalize how critical it is to be safe and how critical it is to keep an eye out on the person working next to them to make sure that everybody goes home safe. And and, and some of that can be done via incentives. Some of it's just a cultural thing where, where 
you know, management and supervision, walk the walk and, and don't just talk the talk. And then the last thing I'd say is this, and, and that is, you know, really not creating an environment of hostility when folks do experience an injury or illness, but instead kind of giving them the level of care that they would give a family member and, you know, letting folks know that they actually care about them because it's amazing the number of cases that we deal with where, you know, folks are, are being interviewed, the, the, the hourly folks, the non-management folks, and we're talking to them. And, you know, it, it's kind of, yeah, they do all these great things, but then when somebody gets hurt, they do all these negative things. And I think if, if employers can avoid some of those negative things, I think that'll go a long way in creating that safety culture. But that's kind of all I've got to say on the issue. And, and Karen, I don't know if you've got any thoughts, but, you know, this might be a good place to, for us to kind of wrap this up. Hey, thanks, John. I, I love your closing comments. I come back to my point about having a vigorous and uh, well-implemented safety program. It can include the carrot and the stick. I think that it's important to have encouraging and positive and rewarding elements to any safety program. And one way to keep up with the type of uh, regulations and alerts and information is to uh, check LinkedIn for John, uh, Jeff, or me. And to also follow the hashtag OD Workplace Safety that curates a lot of our workplace safety content on LinkedIn. So if you just follow hashtag OD Workplace Safety, you will get the curated content. And I will submit to you that John Serma uh, has great content. He posts almost every day with important updates about Texas or Fed OSHA and a lot of other elements. So that's another great way to keep up with the latest news. So thank you, Jeff Leslie. Thank you, John Serma. Uh, we appreciate uh, the audience listening to this Ogletree Deacons Workplace Safety Podcast. Join us for many of our other podcasts on a variety of workplace safety topics. Have a great day and stay safe. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.